So I was thinking this week as we uh, were looking at this text in John chapter 11 about it, it, because it is one of those things where when you're looking at death and then you look at someone being raised, I mean, it is a shocking thing. And I think all of us have to say, man, I have been to that place. Maybe someone close to you has died or you've struggled with facing death yourself or Maybe you're young and you say, man, that's a long way off. Whatever uh, difficulties, um, you know, I, I, I'm probably not going to face death. We, we think that. Uh, but I do remember, and I mentioned that to you, you know, on a number of occasions, when my grandfather, when I was 12 years old, passed away. I mean, it rocked my world. And it was just one of those things where I was face to face with death at a level that I'd never been before. And death is difficult. And there are times where, even in my own life, that I don't know if you ever had that feeling of like the phone call that's coming for some reason or another is so, like, you, you know, that when the phone rings, you think, oh man, this is not going to be good. Uh, it, it's, um, it's something sometimes we, it frightens us because there are times maybe that you and your life have received that phone call that said to you, death has come. And it's all around us. We see it in every aspect of our lives. I uh, remember a number of years ago watching the movie, We Were Soldiers. And one part of that movie was not like a fight scene or anything like that that really stood out. It was in that movie, the women on the base whose husbands were off at war, they, they would oftentimes, like when the, at certain times of the day, they would be standing by the door hoping that the vehicle that they saw traveling down the road was not going to stop at their house and bring whatever piece of paper that said, your husband will never return home. And I, I think for us, death is that enemy. You know, we know that no one's going to defeat. You might overcome it for a while. It may be that you find out you have cancer and then you, like, uh, you're, you know, God in his grace allows you to be successful and your body fights it off and they go through all this. But at the end of the day, if Christ does not return, you will face death. And it's something that is universal throughout humanity. Now, I think it's important that we understand that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil, as you will see in different passages And part of that, what that includes is sin, death, and hell. All of those things, he is coming to rescue us from it. And so this morning, when you're looking at this, you're seeing that Jesus is going to raise a man from the dead, but there's so much more going on here. It is another one of those times, and it was interesting, uh, I I don't don't remember if it was Ryan or Catherine, one of them in our discussion earlier They were talking about how we see these signs. They're like these miracles that behind the miracle is some powerful reality. And hopefully today you will see that. Now, I think what we should get out of today is Jesus says that glorifying God is his chief goal and the most loving thing that he can do for those he loves. He demonstrates this by allowing his friend to die so that he might teach them and us about glory and love think that's kind of what you come away with in this. So let's work through this and then and, and, and hopefully step by step uh, put it together. Lazarus' uh, death, it, we're going to kind of looking at that and we're working through it. So we start in the verse 16, uh, first 16 verses and we see it on display. There's this man, he's sick, 
and we find out that Jesus is intimately acquainted with him. These siblings that Jesus is, is connected to are from Bethany. Bethany's not far, or this Bethany is not far from Jerusalem. And we learn that one of Lazarus' sisters, Mary, uh, is mentioned and highlighted. And if you want to, you can mark this right by the verse here where it speaks of Mary anointing Jesus in verse 2. You can write down Mark 14, 3 through 9. There's a story of, of Mary taking this bottle of very precious ointment, breaking it, and then pouring it over the head of Jesus. And it was a way, Jesus said, to prepare him for burial. She was really offering up a, a wonderful gift, like almost like a, a costly gift. And so these people who are intimately acquainted with Jesus are not only his friends, but they are also serving him and worshiping him. And, and, and we see that on display. Now, another thing uh, that's interesting is when those sisters send for Jesus, they say, uh, Lord, him whom you love is ill. And so that, that, that is just very important, I think, to over, like, over and over for us is just to remind us there are not just people following Jesus or that love Jesus or want relationship with Jesus. There are people that he loves, and he's going to display this uh, throughout this chapter. John's going to beautifully present it. When Jesus heard it, it says this illness does not, uh, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And so as we're moving through this, we're seeing it. We are seeing there's this man sick, he's going to die, but ultimately Jesus is going to do something very powerful. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sisters and Lazarus. Again, just highlighting that. Sometimes I think we don't think of Jesus that way, where he was intimately uh, tied to people and they loved them and pursued them. And, and, and we know that kind of shepherd and sheep imagery, but here it kind of puts skin on that, where you're saying like he loves his sheep, he'll go after them, he's calling them. But here we see that, I guess you could say, with skin on it. Now, what's interesting is it says, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer. And you're like, no. Like, that doesn't, you know. And we talked about that a little bit in discussion. It's like, my, if Anna calls, like, and says something is, like, remotely wrong with the boys that I thought was, like, life-threatening in any way, like, I would be rushing out of there at a level, like, it, it would be, I would be racing to their side. Even though I couldn't even do anything about it, likely, but take them to the hospital, I would still be wanting to go and do something for them. I would not just be setting back, but Jesus waits two days. Now, why does he do that? You, you, you might say, it's, the natural thing would say it was because he didn't really care that much. But it's because he cared more than you could ever imagine. That, that's, what this, that's what's shocking about this. He loves them, and so he waits. He waits to go because his chief concern is the glory of God and our greatest good. It was for the good of these siblings that he waited. For the good of those around him, around them, I mean, that he waited. For the good of the disciples that he waited. For your good that he waited. That, that, that's something I think we need to understand. That his chief concern is the glory of God. And in glorifying God, it's for our good. That's so important for us to remind ourselves of. Sometimes I want Jesus to just make things go away. Do you? 
you're honest, you probably say, yes. There are days I just want, just take it away, Jesus. Just fix this. And so you may run, or you may sit there, or you may do all different types of things. But at the end of the day, the real thing is, in this moment, we should be growing in faith, knowing that God's chief concern is the glory of God and our good, and that He loves us more than we could ever imagine, and His waiting is not a bad thing. Verse 8. The disciples said to him, when he says, we're going to go, let's go ahead and go, they, they say to him, this is insane. We, we don't need to go because if you go, they're going to stone you. Like, do you understand? Like, if you, if you start going back into that place, Jesus has been out in the wilderness. Now he's going to go back into the place where he's close to Jerusalem, where there's a lot of activity, where people are coming by and mourning the loss of Lazarus with someone that would have been potentially known in that area. Certainly we see that people are coming to check on him. Why would you put yourself in that place? Jesus says, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks at night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. Now, that's kind of a hard thing. Like, how do you explain that? That, yeah, I see you. <laughs> um, Wendy was like, what? What was he talking? Okay, I, I read somebody that said what he was talking about. Y'all ready? Hendrickson states that Jesus is saying, the time allotted to me to accomplish my earthly ministry is definitely fixed. Just like day and time is always 12 hours. It cannot be lengthened by any precautionary measure which you, my disciples, would like to take, nor can it be shortened by any plot which enemies would like to execute. It has been definitely fixed in the eternal decree of God. If we walk in the light of His plan, willingly submit to it, we shall have nothing to worry about. If we do not, we shall fail. So here's the thing. And, I, and, I, and I'm like... I said this morning, the discussion was just so, I mean, I, I, it was really, I, I really enjoyed it. And I, it made me think of something, and I mentioned it in there, but I want to mention you. When um, I remember a number of years ago just hearing a story about a missionary who was taking his children into these really difficult areas over and over. And, and there were people that when he came back home that were saying, like, what are you doing? Like, why would you take your kids there? Like, this is crazy for you to do that. And he said... I think it was a missionary wife that actually said it about the missionary man that had taken the kids. And she said, I would rather my kids be dead in the center of God's will than alive outside of it. And it was like, joking? But the, the reality was, is like being in the center of God's will. He knows, Jesus knows that the plan that God has for him will come to pass. That his time has not yet come. And when it comes, it will be executed perfectly. There's nothing to fear. So he steps out in obedience to the Father at the perfect time. And, and, and he is not, there's no fear there because the plan will come to pass. Now, you keep moving here, verses 11 through 16. After saying this, he said to them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep. They think if he's asleep, he's going to wake up. The alarm hasn't gone off. You know, he's going to wake up. But in reality, what Jesus says, no, he is dead and I'm going to wake him up. Verse 
verse 16, so Thomas called the twins, said to his disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. He's still kind of thinking like, man, this is just, it's not going to go well. So, when we're looking at this, when we're thinking about this, I think it's important that we see, notice what he says. He's doing this so that you may believe. He is doing this in this way. That's what Jesus does in those physical things in the Gospels. He's telling a a story that's much deeper than that. He's pulling back the veil to let you see the spiritual things that are taking place, that the magnitude of the greater spiritual issues that we face, he's, he's, he's revealing how he's going to fix that, how he's going to transform that, how he's going to change that. Jesus has just said that he's going to lay down his life and he will raise it up again. And now he's going to demonstrate that. Lazarus is going to die and he's going to raise him back up again. But also, I think for the disciples, when he's going to tell them later in John, listen, trouble's coming for you. If they hated me, they're going to hate you. It's a way of saying, listen, this is what I do with those I love. This is how my sheep are treated. My sheep, although they may die, they will rise again. It's a very comforting and very powerful way that he is displaying that so Jesus gets there and he meets with Martha and then with Mary and the first section here with Martha he begins to dialogue with her and speak to her now when Jesus came he found verse 17 that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days Bethany was near Jerusalem about two miles off and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe you are the Christ, the son of God who is coming into the world. So Jesus here, he steps into this place and, 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 and he meets up with Martha. And when he speaks to her and when he speaks with her, you see, she comes to him and she says, Lord, I know, I know you have the power to, 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 to bring my brother like from the sixth state to a, a, a place of health and vitality. And, and, and then she says, like, I know you can do anything. And, and, and at first you think like, well, what's she saying? She's saying, I know you could even write, you know, you could bring him back from the dead. But then he says, I'm going to do that. And she says, I know you will in the end. You know, she doesn't quite get that. But Jesus says, I am the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's really a powerful picture here. She, she, she is acting in faith. She is one who is listening to the words of Jesus and trusting him. Certainly doesn't fully understand what is about to take place. But you see this example of coming to Jesus, seeking after Jesus, even trusting in what Jesus had promised about the resurrection and about the life together forever. But but even in this, she's still struggling. But as he speaks to her, and he talks to her, he tells us something very powerful about himself. He says, 
I am the resurrection and the life. That's important for us. Those I am statements are running through this gospel. I am, I am, I am. And here he is saying, I am the eternal life. I am the one who, though people die, yet they will live if they trust in me. I'm the one that you can hope in, that you can trust in. You, you, you must just rest in me. I will do these things. Jesus looks at her and says, do you believe this? And I think for us today, you say, do you believe it? Do you believe that? That He is the one who will secure your future? Do you trust in Him as the one who uh, gives us life? She said, yes, Lord, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. Now, here's the deal that's come into the world. At the heart of John's gospel, what's it all about? What, what is the whole focus of John's gospel that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God and that by believing you may have life in his name what John is doing is he's saying look at this guys this is what this means this is what it means to believe in the face of all types of despair in the face of this very dark moment probably the worst day of her life in the middle of all of that when you think all hope is lost when you think like maybe if, if they if they were like under Lazarus's care even like some of the, the the struggles and the loss and all the things that would come along with him being gone in the face of that you see an evidence of one who says when everything seems so messed up you're the Christ the son of the living God I believe. I trust you. Then we move to Jesus' encounter with Mary. Mary hasn't come to him, and so she waits until he calls her. Again, man, we think about John 10, my sheep hear my voice, and they come, right? And she comes to him, and she says, as her sister said, she says, Lord, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Now others follow her out and they're coming with her and so they're going to kind of set up a scene where everybody's hearing this. And when Jesus saw her weeping, it says, he was deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he have opened, uh, if he opened the eyes of the blind man, could he not have kept this man from dying? It's really one of those things where you see this kind of unbelief. But in the face of this, I think it's very important to see a couple of things. One, it, when you're looking at it, is you say Jesus is intimately connected to his sheep. He loves them. He, he is heartbroken over what has taken place. He, he, he is bearing her burden. It, it's, it's one of those things where you think, man, this is just like... The, not only do you see His humanity, but do you see the heart of God towards His own. And, and it's just a very powerful picture here for us who Jesus is another thing you see this morning I think very important is Mary's response 
When Mary comes to him, she fell at his feet. In the face of all her sorrow, where does she go? To Jesus. And how does she respond to him? In worship. That's another aspect there I think is very important. And I were talking about this week. She says, you know, are there words, she asked me, are there words and phrases that come to your mind whenever you endure trials or struggles or whatever? And, and I, I said, yeah, there's a certain thing that comes to my mind. She said, one of them is like for me, it's just worship. Like regardless of what you're facing in the midst of that, one thing that you can do and say, I can't control these things, but one thing I can do is worship him. I remember a number of years ago, one of my friends said, the, the way that he walked through those valleys, and he had a particular time of great depression in his life, and he just said, I began to praise the Lord, and it kind of slowly and gradually, he led me out. I'm going to use Matt Landis here as another, I mean, he just kind of shared with us, but I remember, you know, Matt just a couple of weeks ago said, I spent a lot of time sitting out before the Lord. It's in a place of sorrow, but he's, he's not running away from him but pressing in they're bowing she is bowing before him in worship and we see jesus compassion for her even it says here and people used to say i used to you know people would like ask me what do you know what the shortest verse in the bible is jesus wept jesus wept it's like okay that's the most important thing about that verse i'm glad you memorized it you know uh, good job you know but it, it's like in that moment when you're watching him and his his he knows sin kills and destroys and brings sorrow and jesus is like he is identifying with them showing compassion towards them isaiah 53 says he is acquainted with grief he's a man of sorrows he carried around our burdens he bore them there is no greater example of him bearing our burdens than the cross where he is enduring those for us he's taking those on for us now Some of you here may be experiencing greater difficulty than I understand. You may have lost a loved one recently. You may have lost a friendship. And you're hurting in different ways than maybe none of us know here. But I think it's important, even for the church, when we look at Jesus, to have the attitude of Christ towards one another. There's any encouragement of Christ, the Scripture says, any comfort from His love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. What does it say? Complete my joy by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love. It, it's, 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 the church should follow the example of Jesus. We, we should be that to one another. We should like bear the burdens of others. We should seek to comfort one another. That, that costs us something. That causes us to lay aside our selfishness and to lay down our lives. But I think you do see the example of Jesus here displaying that to us now let's go to the miracle itself verse 38 then jesus deeply moved again came to the tomb it was a cave and a stone laid against it jesus said take away the stone martha the sister of the dead man said to him lord by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days it's very clear that's just trying to highlight that that four day thing is very important for them because even if some of the people in our in our group this morning were talking about just some of the customs and all that kind of stuff but it clarified he has been dead like he's dead like nobody will question that that he was dead and in that moment 
Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you if you believed you would see the glory of God? Jesus didn't let Lazarus die because of a lack of love, but because of his great love. That, that's important, man, for you to see that. That the glory of God, seeing and beholding the glory of God, that's what John said, and we beheld His glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. If, if you want to see Him, I mean, that, that's the big deal. We want to see Him. We want to see Him in the fullness of His glory. And we, like Moses, should be like, show me your glory. That's what I need. I need you to show me your glory, God. I need to see you as you are. I need to understand who you are and grasp that in its fullness. And here's the thing. Oftentimes, in order for us to be able to really see him show up, it's not at this highest point. It's at the darkest points. The light shines brightest in the darkest of nights. And so in the moment of their despair and darkness, Jesus does not run over there and fix it before they can really experience the fullness of His glory. And here's the deal. Jesus is not just thinking about them, but you. He's helping us, the church, see Him for who He is. See what He's doing. And see the glory of God on display. Verse 41 and 42, so they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Jesus is modeling something of what he's, his prayer, I think you see in secret, but he's in complete union with the Father, but he speaks to him so that others might hear, so that they might see and understand and be able to interpret what Jesus is doing in this moment and his relationship to the Father and what is taking place here. Saying this for the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He's been saying that all along. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. The Father has sent me. And if you want to understand that the Father has sent me and you want to get this, here's how you can see it. And so he speaks to the Father publicly with them And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had had died came out. He's alive. Jesus called him back to life. He set him free from the power of death. He, He showed himself victorious over it. It becomes one of those things he's already said, I will raise myself up again. And he does, and he will do that in the future. He will raise us up, as Martha said, on the last day. One of my favorite verses, 1 Corinthians 15 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He is victorious even over death. He is overthrowing the power of the enemy. He is the great reverser of the curse. He is revealing to us that not only can he address disease and disorder, but even death. It's a powerful picture for us. Now, notice the results of that. Many of the Jews believed that some people went and told the Pharisees. One of those things where you see this dividing line. Where will people 
stand. In the face of this, some will watch this on display and believe, and others will still reject him. In verses 47 and 48, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, what are we going to do? The signs are too shocking. If we, do not, if we let this go on, the Romans will hear about it, basically. If the people keep believing in him, they'll come and take away our place and our nation. That, that, that's a shocking thing. You see, really, at the heart of them, they're trying to protect themselves. They're, they're longing to protect themselves rather than trust in him. They're seeking for that. They want their power and position over the Christ. Verse 49 and 50, one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, uh, not that the whole nation should perish. I thought this is interesting. It's kind of a hard verse to kind of think about. I want to read this to you and then we'll uh, be close to concluding here. The alternative which Caiaphas presented was false because it was based upon a presumption which was the exact opposite of the truth. His reasoning was, follow Jesus and the nation perishes. Put Jesus to death and the nation is saved. Conclusion, Jesus must be put to death by the irony of history. The exact opposite was to happen. When the Jews murdered Jesus, they sealed their doom. The Romans did come and they destroyed the city. Later, that's what took place. So what is he saying? Caiaphas is saying, man, we've got to stop this movement in order to save us because if they think Messiah has shown up, the Romans are going to show up too. In reality, when they killed Jesus, ultimately it brought their doom. John, though, interprets it for us. Look at verse 51 through 53. He says, the high priest was prophesying not on his own will. God was using him to prophesy about what Jesus would do. He would die for the nation and not for the nation only, but to also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. So from that day on, he made plan- they made plans to put him to death. It's interesting. God is perfectly working out his plan. The disciples were afraid. Is this, I mean, we can't go in there. They're going to kill you, Jesus. And it really, in reality, Jesus is like in his perfect plan. He's working it out and he will die at the specific time there's nothing that can thwart god's plan ultimately salvation will come it's interesting they think in killing him they'll silence him but really in killing him he he will be victorious over all he will do what he's just done and he will do that for all of us who believe in him verses 54 through 57 we see from that time on jesus leaves and goes out in the wilderness and they are seeking a way to kill him, which leads us to where we are in John, and we're kind of getting to that place where we're coming to the end. John is writing, though, today that we may believe, so that we might behold the glory of God. In this passage, the glory of God is on display in a powerful way. He's displaying His glory. Jesus demonstrates His love by displaying His glory, allowing Lazarus to die so that we might know his love in a far greater way. You and I, hopefully, will walk away and be like Mary and Martha by the power of God and trust in in saving faith, trust that he loves us, that he's for us, 
that he is our shepherd, that we are his sheep, and that he wants what is best for us. So for you today, I hope this passage, when you look at it, that you see Jesus for who he is, that you see his love for his people, that you see fixing your life and every circumstance in it is not the greatest concern that he has. But most of all, he wants you to see him. He wants you to honor him. He wants you to glorify him. He wants you to grow in faith. He wants you to do so so that you might bless others and so that the world may in in a more full way understand the marvelous work of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that you would help us see more clearly. We ask that we would be a people that are treasuring Jesus above everything. We pray that even in the darkest of moments in our lives that we would not run away from Jesus, that we would not try to find another way, but that we would seek Him, that we would worship That we would work together serving one another and helping each other in that. That we would worship and know that the glory of God is His chief concern. And that by His glory, we will understand His love. And to all of that, Lord, we praise You. In Christ's name, Amen.